welcome to the Mind Tales podcast. We are a fast-growing tech mental health organization here to bring you the insights that you need to boost your emotional health and thrive in your daily life. It's our goal to make quality mental health care both accessible and inclusive. That's why part of our mission is to get discussions, conversations, and debates about mental health going. From psychiatrists to educators, entrepreneurs and community members, we bring you the stories and experiences of health advocates from around the world. And that's what we're going to do today. If you like our episode or have any suggestions for future content, please like it, leave a comment, or connect with us on Instagram at MindTalesOfficial. It makes us so happy to hear from the MindTales community. Thank you, Louise, for joining us today. We are so excited to have you here to talk with us, to learn more about well-being and education in the pandemic, and also reflect on the great number of lessons that we've all learned during this time. Your journey has been inspirational, and I'm so interested to hear more about it. So, Thank Louise, you so much for having me. Thank you for being here. Tell us a bit more about your personal trajectory. Why is positive psychology important to you? And how has your relationship with your own well-being changed throughout your journey of championing others? That's a great question. Um, So I can start, uh, it probably started a good 10 years ago. So I've been practicing as a psychologist for many years. And in the time that I was working in primary healthcare, I was working with a lot of people struggling with depression, And um, I was also doing my doctorate at the same time. And the two just sort of happened together. I I took this course in positive psychology and I thought, oh, it's going to be this easy, you know, (laughs) good way to get extra points, right? (laughs) And suddenly my whole life changed and I thought, wow, this was the psychology I thought I had signed up for all of these years ago, but had sort of forgotten about. And my whole philosophy on life changed and suddenly it was about what makes life amazing and wonderful and worth living instead of just not miserable. And I started to see the same theme with my clients as well. A lot of them just kept coming back, coming back, coming back, struggling with depression. And the best tools that we had at the time were cognitive behavioral therapy, which is good. It works. It's a way to challenge um, people's thoughts, you know, dysfunctional thinking, even that's very stigmatizing to say there's something wrong with your thinking, Um, Mm -hmm. you know, but it works, but it brings people from a negative to a zero and then that's it. And so I noticed that these people kept coming back because their depression lifted, but that was it. And they were still coming back going, well, you know, yeah. Guess it's okay, but you know, we didn't do the other half. And so I thought, you know what? Let's just give this a try. So I put together a course in positive psychology for clients, looking at all the different positive psychology interventions and really teaching them and sharing them some of that science of positive psychology around, you know, it's not enough just to remove the negative. We also need to be thinking about what is happiness? What does yeah. make your life worthwhile? What can we fill the present with so that you're not tempted to always be 
pulled back into the past. How yeah. can we allow the future to pull you forward? And suddenly, as I was doing these groups, I noticed the, we had a lot of clients who had been with us for years. And unfortunately, this happens a lot in mental health. We have clients, we call them career clients. Like, how terrible is that? Yeah. Um, and they keep coming back and back and back because our tools are designed to bring people from a negative to zero. And then we just say, well, good luck. Yeah. <laughs> and so as I was doing this group, I had one client in particular. She had been with us the longest. And at the end of that first six-week program, she said to me, you know what? I'm really kind of angry with you. And I was like, oh, no, what did I do? Yeah. <laughs> like, what happened? And she said, no, no, it's nothing, it's nothing personal. But she said, I have been coming to therapy in this exact clinic for, for over 20 years. I've been wow. seeing all your psychiatrists and all of your psychologists, and I'll probably carry on after this as well, you know. But every single person I've come to has asked yeah. me to tell my story, examine why I feel the way I do, and nothing ever changes. And now I take your little six-week happiness course, and I finally have the tools I need to move wow. forward. And I'm not coming back. Wow. <laughs> and I was like, well, that's awesome. But she was really angry because she said, you know, I've wasted so much money and so many years of my life doing yeah. the same thing over and over again. And it just occurred to me today, no one's ever taught me how to be happy. Right. All you've ever been teaching me is how not to be miserable. So that was a real eye-opener for me that I felt, wow, psychology is good, but it's not good enough. And we've mm -hmm. failed people in a sense. We're not teaching them as much as they need. So for me, it, it started as a very personal thing, like, wow, okay, I can do more. But I started to see the difference in my clients. And then I thought, okay, there's something here. We need to push psychology to its next level as well. And, and yeah. so I just stopped doing CBT and now I just exclusively do positive psychology. And wow. then it just sort of took off from there. Yeah. Wow. What? Yes. No, that's, that's an incredible way to put it. I think you're highlighting a really important point about positive psychology, which is that um, even those who aren't suffering or coping with a mental disorder still benefit from these interventions and implementing them in their lives. Yes, they do. And that's really the benefit of positive psychology. So a lot of people sort of equate, and I, I kind of say, you know, the happiness industry kind of got a hold of it. Um, mm -hmm. And they've made it about happy, happy stuff. And, and yeah, there's an element of that. But we need to remember that positive psychology is a psychology. And it started with, it started being validated and tested on clinical depression. That's right. where it started. So it, it is more serious than, is it, than it appears. Um, so there is such a thing as positive clinical psychology. This is a whole new science around it. Um, and what we show is that um, positive clinical psychology using these strategies with mental illness, clinical depression, but also different forms, or sorry, different symptoms of schizophrenia, also yeah. anxiety, but depression in particular, we get the exact same and in some cases better outcomes than yeah. CBT and antidepressant medication. So it, it really is a form of treatment for yeah. those who are at the negative end, but also it's a form of 
prevention and mental health promotion right. for everybody else because everybody can move from you know the minus 10 to zero but you know most of us are at a one two three four five and there's there's still more room to grow so this is one way in which positive psychology can appeal to everyone you don't yeah. need to qualify with a yeah. disorder you don't need to qualify with a miserable life to get our help right. um, everybody there's something there for everybody um, and that's really the appeal so you don't need to lose face you don't need to say right. oh, there's something wrong with me there's nothing wrong with you you just you just got more road to go great yeah yeah so it, it's really empowering um yeah and i've just seen people's lives be really transformed by it, it's, it i really see it as the way forward right yeah we we might be jumping a bit ahead but something that stood out to me from what you said was just having it be used as a tool for prevention and the promotion of well-being. And that's actually something that, uh, if I'm not mistaken, you've actually really put at the center of some of your well-being programs that you've delivered to schools um, and with yeah. students. Yes. Um, so again, a lot of programs, and there's nothing wrong with those programs. So we, you know, we give a lot of mental health programming in schools, universities as well. And that's good. I mean, there, there's room for that. But if that's all we do, yeah. we're missing the other 95% of the student body who's like, well, what about me? Like, I want to be awesome. Do I have to go break my leg to get right. it fixed again just to get your attention, yeah. right? Um, so uh, what we've done now, um, so there was Positive Psych 1.0, the original version. Positive Psych 2.0 was really looking at um, including different aspects of culture, but also trying to mix the good and the bad so that we're not only building the good but we're also tackling the negative as well now we're at positive psychology 3.0 we're looking at a lot of systematic issues um so i think it's a lot to ask people to say well be optimistic you know when the house is on fire like that's yeah. only gonna get you halfway right yeah. um so psychology positive psychology has really matured as a field and we're, we're getting a lot further so to answer your question um in terms of programming there's a lot of cool stuff going on and yes i've developed a couple of programs for schools i also use some in universities as well looking at positive psych one two and three Right. So all of these different areas. So um, working in the Middle East, uh, I do bring in a lot of aspects about culture because yeah. different perspectives of what happiness means, but also, you know, in collective cultures, if you're too happy, that's kind of a bad thing sometimes, right? right. You bring on the evil eye or people look at you like, okay, what are you up to? And how come, you know, how come we're not part of it? They get a little suspicious. Um, right. There's a lot of cultural religious beliefs you know whether they're accurate or not but that pe people kind of hold on to and they kind of mute and dampen um, their own feelings of happiness sometimes so we explore yeah. some of these cultural beliefs and and that's a real eye-opener for people because they're like wow i didn't realize actually it's not me but it's the rules in my culture that are that I'm yeah. kind of following and that are limiting my happiness, but actually it's not me, right? And they walk yeah. around thinking, what's wrong with me? It's like, it's not you. <laughs> um, and, then, and then other times it's also giving students, whether they're in university or schools, just the tools to be able yeah. to emotionally regulate themselves. So if they're at a negative one day, how do they bring themselves back up to at a minimum, at least a neutral, so they can think and focus and, you know, 
attend to school, but right. also even when they're doing well, how can we capitalize on that and help them do even better and, and right. reach their own heights uh, and capabilities that they're able to do them. So when I develop a program, I look at all of these things. So I kind of develop them for that particular school, taking into yeah. account, you know, socioeconomic factors, culture, again, what's the dominant culture, right. what are things that need to be included, um, you know, expats as well. We're in the Middle East. Um, so some schools just have a very different nature yeah. um, versus other, you know, like let's say, for example, public schools, right? Um, yeah. So I kind of develop with a little bit of all of that in mind, but end of the day, it's about enabling and empowering young people to manage their emotions right. and to build on better versions of themselves. Right. I absolutely love that your programs include the aspect of taking into account the individualized nature of each community that you that you work with. I think that's so important, especially the cultural perspectives, just making sure that we're not sort of implementing any models that have already been established and just premeditating or assuming somebody else's uh, psychology. Well, and especially when it comes to, well, psychology in general, yeah. we do that a lot, uh, and positive psychology has fallen into that same trap. So if we look at a lot of the interventions, they are very individual focused. My feelings, my wants, my goals, my self-esteem, my self-efficacy, they're all self, self, self. And when you're in a collective society, that doesn't work. It's not, the, right. the focus is not on the self. The focus is on what's going to make my parents happy. What's going right. to make my parents proud of me. What can I do to help my sister be happy? Because if she's happy, then I'm happy. <laughs> it's right. through others. So, and, and, you know, positive psych is catching up. So there's more and more interventions that are other focused versus yeah. just self-focused. But, but yeah, these are things we need to be mindful of. So one of the things I'm researching and, it's a little bit hard to find in the data, but I'm getting there is looking at what is the impact of using positive psychology interventions, not so much on happiness because we know they work, but they work at a cost. Yeah. What's the impact on culture? Right. That's so important. Thank you for talking a bit more about that. Um, I'd also like to chat a bit more about the effects of the pandemic on both teacher and student well-being. So this January and March, the beginning of this year, we saw the lives of students and professors altered in so many different ways. You know, universities were now packing up their students to go back to their home countries. Uh, children were now being schooled from home and teachers just had to undertake a whole new skill set to be able to deliver their lessons and courses through online platforms. And this brought with it so many new uh, psychological concepts like Zoom fatigue, um, and we, we really got to see a whole new uh, side of, of a, a different learning environment. And you're a professor yourself, and I am curious to know a bit more about what, what was your experience with these changes that came alongside uh, the pandemic and, and its impact on the student learning environment? So it was a bit of a mixed bag, which I think is kind of everybody's situation. So at right. first people were like, what, what is going on? I think everyone was just a little <laughs> bit like shell shocked, like, ah, and, and a lot of panic and anxiety. I remember my students were freaking out. And so was yeah. I, I'm like, don't worry, I got you, I got you. And for the first <laughs> semester, I gave everybody my phone number. And then I'm like, why did I do that? <laughs> <Anyways>. <laughs> yeah. 
but you know I just really felt a sense of obligation and duty and I I just I really doubled down on my efforts to be there for them because some of them were were scared some of them some of them did lose their grandparents not you know, right. some, um, some of them had people in their family who got ill. Some of them had um, people in their family who were not taking it seriously and they were really upset. But again, right. how do you, you know, um, they also lost the support of other people in the classroom as well. So, you know, one of the things I did and, and I, and I'm glad I did it because even the students said, you know, Miss thank you for asking because nobody's really asking um at the beginning of every class I'm like hey how's everybody doing are y'all right. washing your hands are you okay are your family's okay are you feeling yeah. depressed are you anxious you're going crazy are, who's having fun Who, you know like just yeah. i just did a lot of little check-ins with them and and they really use that time because nobody asked and right. this really made me think more broadly I don't think we do a good job at dealing with well-being in institutions across the board. Right. Some do better than others, um, but it, it was just very obvious that nobody's asking them. There's no, like, there's nothing. Um, so, again, I, I really made a point of just doing it even more. Um, and and they really appreciated it because I, I think they, there was just a feeling of, you know, I'm just supposed to like follow, be mm -hmm. happy, wash my hands and just kind of wait, but I'm not okay. For some students, especially for some universities where everything was on campus, like there was residence, now yeah. they're back at home, they have no social life. That yeah. was, that was it. <laughs> so right. I have students who have not left the house in months. I think I think it's just this terms of experiences. It's really just been all over the board for yeah. students. Um, so one of the programs. So during this time, I was running a program uh, in a school in in uh, in Dubai, and that was very interesting. At first, I was like, "Oh, come on! I'm running a study, and now pandemic hits. Like, thanks a lot." Yeah, but it was actually very interesting. So we end up. We ended up seeing that um, students did, I don't want to say better, because of course, you know, prior they were just kind of right. going along fine, but they did not lose in terms of well-being. They didn't lose anything, but in some cases their well-being went up. That's normal because, yeah. because you read the studies and everybody's freaking out over kids' mental health and blah, blah, blah. And I'm like, these kids are actually doing better and then we really picked apart all of the variables and yeah they were doing better because they were sleeping more oh wow okay that was it go to bed I, I did not <laughs> expect that yeah yeah like go to bed and to me this just makes a lot of sense and again we go back to the research and and, and researchers have been saying this forever kids are not supposed to get up at 5.30 in the morning right. to catch the bus at 6.30 to start school at 7. That is way too early. Yeah. And that's what, what had been happening. So now with teaching online, kids literally rolled out of bed at 6.55, that extra sleep helped them do better. Wow. Spending more time with their parents help them do better right um having less you know back-to-back -back activities this 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 but you know just right. go read a book hang out like 
just go listen to music, the chill yeah. actually help them do better. So this was very interesting to me because I thought, hmm, I hope we take some lessons from this pandemic. Yeah. And if your life is so scheduled and you're not sleeping and there's so much academic pressure that you then need treatment in terms of positive psychology interventions or whatever they are to help you feel better, and again, this is where we get into that positive psych 3.0. Maybe the system was right. Feels like maybe the creating the that. Yeah, the exactly. So instead of trying to treat the after effects of the system, why don't we just back up and change the system and send kids to school at nine? Right. Some high schools in the U.S. are starting to send their kids in at 10, 1030. Oh. Now they go later, but actually learning outcomes improve, mental health outcomes improve, everything improves just because they're sleeping more. So that was good for me and also very humbling because I'm like, oh gosh. So here I'm like, my program's amazing. Ashley, sleep. <laughs> it was sleep. <laughs> like, yes, the program did work. <laughs> yeah. Exactly. But I mean, it did because before the pandemic, I mean, we had seed increases anyway. So uh, we know it worked. But um, right. Yeah, it came down to just go to bed. Wow. Well, look at that. Um, <laughs> on the on the other side of that, actually, when it comes to systematic and institutional kinds of factors that influence the learning environment, the pandemic also highlighted a lot of uh, the inequalities or inequities between students at their homes and in their home environments. You know, some students had to share rooms with their siblings and do classes at the same time. Not all of them had stable uh, internet access from home. And so what, what, what role do you kind of see these, uh, I guess, the Psych 3.0 program that you were talking about? How, how can we then shape these factors to equal out the playing field a little bit more in the classroom? And, you know, I think, you know, these are not new issues, but I think COVID has just exacerbated existing inequality. So I found this with my students as well. Some of them were just never logging on. I'm like, what's yeah. going on? And they're like, miss, we have 10 kids in the house. Like, seriously? Yeah. <laughs> and we're learning at the same time. Like, it's impossible. We can't all log in. The internet's crashing. So these two kids go first. I log in at two o'clock in the morning and listen to your recording. And then I'm like, okay, got it. Yeah. So I just stopped taking attendance. It's like, I'm not going to punish students if they can't make it. I mean, whatever. Yeah. Um, but you know, things like that. Um, so I don't know what the answer is, but I feel, so what, the issue that's coming out in the Middle East Journal of Positive Psych in the next yeah. two weeks is talking exactly about that, is how do we, how can we focus more on community well-being so that we can have individual well-being. Yeah. I think we're asking a lot of individuals, you know, if we look at this past year, I mean, it wasn't just COVID. We had Black Lives Matter. We had yeah. crazy elections, regardless what side you voted on. But, you know, yeah. these things are bigger than individuals themselves. And, and I don't think it's fair nor helpful to say to people, be optimistic, be hopeful, be like, come on, man, the house is on fire. Yeah. <laughs> you know? There's only so much you can do. Um, you know, the Gallup, they came out with their global um, emotions index. I, I think I got the title wrong, but anyway, it comes out every year. And, and this right. year um, they highlighted the case of Lebanon. 
um, basically saying that, you know, the, the, as a nation, um, Lebanon was all over the map. I mean, their positive emotions drop the most out of every country. Negative mm -hmm. emotions rose the most out of every country. It, and it comes down to governance. It comes down to systems. It comes down to communities and societies as a whole. And so what I'm kind of pushing for, I don't have the answer. I don't know how to do it, but is right. to sort of encourage positive psychologists to look beyond individuals and can we start thinking about interventions at a community level? How do right. we start caring for one another again? How do we start listening to one another again? Yeah. How do we start, you know, having dialogue? How do we start looking out for one another? How do we stand up for one another when right. we see injustice? How do we how do we make things like equality actually matter? And how yeah. do we help people maybe who do have more power use that effectively? You know, again, I, I don't know, but I just feel like you can't put the onus of happiness on individuals alone. I mean, that's really passing the Agreed. buck. Agreed. There's a lot we can do, but there's a point at which it's just out of your hands. Yeah. So I think COVID in a way has highlighted the role of society uh, and the role of science and research and application, maybe social positive psychology. I know there is such a thing. Yeah. It hasn't grant it hasn't grabbed a lot of traction. Maybe this will help. Um, but I just think there's more we can do. We need to look more broadly. And we need to be focusing on well societies to have well right. people. Just no way around it. And schools, again, uh, that's going to be something for schools to be thinking about as well, yeah. alongside the role of technology and, you know, how does that fit into all of this yeah. exacerbating these inequalities or ensuring that we at least, even from, even if it's just an aspiration yeah. and a goal, but how, how do we at least start recognizing and walking in that direction? Definitely. No, for sure. I think, I mean, something that you're also saying that, that, uh, I resonate with or that I am really interested in reading about and hearing more about is just how, um, you know, you read about urban planning and psychology and how just really the spatial arrangement of individuals and, you know, these spontaneous interactions that you were talking about between individuals, you know, that creates and builds friendship. And when communities don't have that, especially now, like just given the isolation, it has tremendous effects on just the well-being of society. So I really think that these structural factors are incredibly important. And I thank you for bringing them up as well. This is another role, and again, we're talking about this in this issue, but it's also a lot of much more cross-disciplinary research and practice. Uh, I think psychologists, you know, we kind of like stay in our little, you know, one at, a, one at a time. We focus on the mind, but that mind is impacted by communities and societies, and I think we need to be working with urban planners, as an example. Right. Uh, with policymakers, with education, which with healthcare, with other domains, even economists, architects, you know, to be looking at mm -hmm. how do we just build better systems, and then that by default improves the lives of individuals tremendously. Right. Right. So pairing up with strange fellows yeah. <laughs> to do research. <laughs> I, I think that's valuable. Um, 
Thank you. Thank you so much, Louise, for, for sharing My your pleasure. perspective on, on just the impact of pandemic in the classroom, the lessons looking forward. Um, one of my professors wrote a paper this year as well, and something that he mentioned was, you know, it's in our nature to adapt quickly, but sometimes in doing so, we forget the lessons of the past. And it's okay. so important to, to really keep in mind, you know, all of these uh, topics that we've been talking about and really look forward uh, with them. Absolutely. Well, I wish you all the best as well, because you're doing some of that same work. <laughs> yes. And uh, let's hope, yeah, exactly. I, I love your professor saying, let's hope we don't adapt too quickly and forget that we still have work to do. Definitely. Yes. Um, is, is there any way that our uh, listeners can get in contact with you or follow the work that you do? Yeah. So I have a website called happinessmatters.org. Uh, that's kind of my consulting arm, but there's also a lot of research on there as well. You can connect there. Uh, of course, I'm on LinkedIn. There I use doctor because, you know, yes. people like doctor. <laughs> um, do. And then I'm also on Instagram as well. So my Instagram one is my personal one. It is open, but it's, you know, less uh, nerdy and researchy. Right. But uh, any, any of those places is great. I'm happy to connect with anyone. Great. I will uh, put some of those links in the description for our listeners to uh, click Fantastic. on and refer to. So that's great. all for me. It was a pleasure talking to you today. Thank you so much. Same here. Have a Thank great you. day and good luck with this initiative. Thanks for tuning in to the Mind Tales Collective. If there were any questions that stood out to you, don't let these conversations stop here. Share your thoughts with your family and friends or send over a quick message to us on Instagram to share your thoughts with us. And don't forget to hit the follow button. You can find us at Mind Tales Official. We know it's been a tough year. We want to remind you to check in on how you're feeling and ask for help if you need it. Remember, self-care is more than a band-aid. Your mental health is important. Stay tuned for more content next week. Take care and talk to you soon.